Okay, our scripture as we continue through the book of John can be found on the back of your bulletin or on the screen. This is John 1, 43 through 51, as Jesus continues to call his disciples. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I saw you, I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The word of the Lord. Well, I developed what I call a little bit of a wanderlust this week. Uh, and a wanderlust is when you just want to go somewhere, right? And one of the great things is uh, with Google Maps, you can get to just about anywhere you want to go. And so I typed in a couple of different places. The first that came to mind was Ottawa, Ontario, because we all want to go to Ottawa, don't we? And lo and behold, I discovered that it's 706 miles and will only take me 11 hours and 39 minutes exactly if I want to go to Ottawa, Ontario. How do they know that? It's scary. I don't know. But I expanded my range. I said, what about Seattle, Washington? Yay! Well, <laughs> all, all going to Seattle. 3,040 miles. One day in 19 hours. Now that would be an impressive bout of driving to make it to Seattle in one day in 19 hours, but that's what Google Maps is saying. And I, uh, my final destination, Juneau, 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 Alaska, 3,973 miles, three days, three hours, tolls are required <laughs> if you're going to Juneau, Alaska. Now, uh, just for the heck of it, I typed in the destination, God. And I got no answer from Google Maps. How do we find a way to God? Google Maps has no answer. We have to ask the question, where is God? Where is his location? Is he accessible? Can we find him? And does he want to be found in the first place? See, the truth of the matter is we need God. Because we are searchers. We're looking for something that cannot be found on earth. And this is why we're never satisfied fully with things of the earth. We're searching for God. And what the scripture tells us is that God has made a way. Jesus Christ is the gateway to God. So if we want to get to God, we must follow Jesus. For Jesus is the one who leads us to God. So that's what we're going to look at, the fact that Jesus is the gateway that we must take if we want to find the path to God. We're going to look at three particular points. Number one, Jesus gives the call of God. Jesus calls us onto the road, onto this journey, if you will, that ends with God. 
Number two, Jesus gives the vision of God. He gives us a picture that's bigger than ourselves. A vision of who we are, where we're supposed to be, of where we are to go. And then finally, Jesus is the gateway of God. He's the one that we walk through to find God. Because Jesus is the gateway to God, we must walk Well, let's look at these three points. Number one, Jesus gives the call of God. We see in verse 43 that the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. And so he found Philip, and he said to him, follow me. Jesus is in the process of gathering his disciples. The last week, the disciples, these people, and one of the disciples came and found Jesus. Now Jesus finds them. Jesus goes and finds Philip. It appears that he was specifically looking for Philip. How did he know where to find him? Well, he's the Son of God. It appears that he did not know Philip before. And so he simply walked up to Philip and said these words, follow me. Now, how would a normal person react if somebody came up to them and said, follow me? They would say, no way. But Philip turns around and begins to follow Jesus. See, there was something in Philip's heart, a yearning to follow someone, someone that he was looking for, that he finally found after all of his searching. Philip, for all of his life, had been going from place to place, person to person, looking for someone. And he found that person in Jesus Christ, and he received that invitation of follow me. Notice these were the words that Jesus used, follow me. It's a call to lose one's life and one's autonomy. It wasn't consider me. It wasn't think about me. It wasn't even listen to me. It was follow me. What I command, Philip, you obey. Where I tell you to go, you go. And where I tell you to stay, you stay. Become my disciple. There was a saying when a disciple, when a rabbi took a disciple, that the disciple would walk so close to the rabbi that they would say, may you be coated in the dust of your rabbi. In other words, that you would be walking at your, the feet of the rabbi, and you would be walking so close that as the rabbi kicked up the dust, the dust would coat the disciple because they would be following so closely. That is what Philip uh, the call that comes to Philip from Jesus. There are multiple places that Jesus spoke about following him in the Gospels, right? In Luke 14, 26, he put it this way. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, hate is a Semitic expression for loving less. In other words, if anyone does not love this people less than me, in other words, if you don't love me more than your father, your mother, your parents, your wife, even your children, yes, even your own life, you are not worthy to be my disciple. And Jesus continued, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Crucifixion is a shocking metaphor for discipleship. 
In other words, a disciple must deny himself, die to his self-will, and take up his cross, and embrace God's will, no matter what the cost, to follow him. This is what Jesus was saying to Philip, and it's the same thing that Jesus is saying to us if we want to be his disciples. And the reality is back then, not everyone answered the call, just like now. Remember that rich young ruler that came up to Jesus? Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus gave, uh, uh, listed a whole host of things and then finally got to the point. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and then come follow me. And the rich man, at this, his face fell and he went away because he was a man of great wealth. He was not willing to give all to answer the call. But you see, the call of Jesus is still the same for us today as it was for Philip. Follow me. Not think about me. Not value me. Not even consider what I have to say, but follow me. If we want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, we must deny all. The only question is, are we willing? I don't know if you're familiar with a financial term called diversification. I'm sure you are, being a very astute financial audience. Uh, Investopedia puts it this way. Diversification is a strategy that aims to mitigate risk and maximize returns by allocating investment funds across different vehicles, industries, companies, and other categories. We are in the business of diversification in America. Not only with our finances, but with our hearts. See, we give our hearts to a variety of different things. Our life is like a pie, and we have a variety of different slices. We have a slice for work, and a slice for a significant other, and a slice for our community. And yeah, there's a slice for religion as well, right? A slice for God. It's part of the pie. But Jesus is saying, diversification will not work with me. You must put all of your eggs in one basket if you're going to follow me. That's what Philip did. What will you and I do? Like Philip, we're designed to be followers and worshipers, going from place to place, putting our hope in life and things and people. But everything we seek to follow, if it's not Jesus Christ, will ultimately leave us empty. Nothing can satisfy except for the call to come and follow him. Because in the end, Christianity is not a religion. It's a person. Our life is to be found in him and him alone. So what are you standing on to justify your existence? Is it your work? Is it the title on the placard on your desk? Is it the amount of possessions that you have accumulated in your portfolio? The car that's in your driveway, the house that's on the street? Or have I securely put my existence on him and him alone? If so, Jesus calls us to a life of obedience. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That is the call of God. Where I go, you'll go. Where I'll stay, you'll stay.
to be coated in the dust of our rabbi. Well, this brings me to my second point, that Jesus gives us a vision of God. Verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Notice that Philip immediately picks up his master's mission to go tell the world the good news of Jesus Christ. And so he goes and he finds Nathanael. And he says, We have found him of whom the Moses, uh, Moses and the prophets all spoke about. In other words, all of the Old Testament, Nathaniel, all of it was pointing to this one person that I have found here, and I'm here to tell you that his name is Jesus. You can sense Philip's excitement as he shares this message with Nathaniel. Nathaniel is not excited. He's incredulous. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said that we come and see. Now we know Nathaniel was from Cana, which is another town in Galilee. And Galilee, Galileans were frequently uh, despised by the other people of Israel, of Judea. So it appears that even fellow Galileans despised Nazareth. It's that way today, isn't it? It's very interesting when people use Jesus Christ as a curse word. Do you know of any other prophet or any other famous person that you use as a curse word? But people do that with Jesus Christ. But Philip is not affected. He says, come and see. In other words, Philip is so confident. If Nathaniel just sees Jesus, notice what Philip doesn't do. He doesn't argue with Nathaniel. He doesn't try to convince Nathaniel. He simply proclaims the truth. Our Christian call to evangelism is a call not simply to persuade people to make decisions, but rather to proclaim to them the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. To call them to repentance and to give God the glory for regeneration and conversion. We don't fail in our evangelism if we faithfully present the gospel. And yet the person is not converted. We fail only if we don't faithfully present the gospel. And all. Now, why does Nathaniel end up coming with Philip to see Jesus? Well, one, it's on the basis of the relationship that Nathaniel has with Philip. By the way, that's the reason that people come to church. Only statistics tell us it's only 6% uh, why people come to church because the pastor invited them. It's like 90% because they had a relationship with somebody who had invited them. Nathaniel comes because of his relationship with Philip, and he comes. There's power in conviction. When you have won yourself to Jesus Christ and you believe in him with all your heart, when you're standing on him with all of your weight, it has tremendous power in the world. And so Nathaniel goes. And Jesus saw Nathaniel, verse 47, coming to him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. What's Jesus talking about? Well, when he uses this term, no deceit, he's referencing something. In fact, in just a little bit, he will also reference Jacob with the angels in Genesis 28. Now, Jacob's name meant deceiver. That's what Jacob means. But if you remember that after all of his years of deceiving, 
face to face with God and wrestled with him. And God gave him a new name, Israel. A new destiny, if you will. What Jesus is saying to the family is you are not a Jacob. You are not a deceiver, rather. You're an Israel. It's a blessing that he's pronouncing over the family. That you're a light giver, Nathaniel, and people will be blessed through you, just like they were in Israel. Jesus speaks a vision over Nathaniel's life that captivates Nathaniel's heart. That's what Jesus does, by the way. He gives people a vision for their life. Remember when he called Peter or Simon? You shall be called the rock. When Peter was anything but the rock, he's doing the same thing with Nathaniel. You shall be called Israel, even when you're anything but. We need someone to give us a vision for our life. You know? We need someone to give us a picture of who it is that we can be, who it is that we're supposed to be. And it's only the God of the universe that can honor that vision over our lives. Because with ourselves, in ourselves, we don't know where we are. And we don't know what we are to become. But Jesus knows all because he sees. I appreciate these words from Jeremiah 29 11. For I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to plans to give you a hope in the future. Nathaniel is stunned by this blessing that Jesus uh, quotes over him, and he says in verse 48, how do you know Jesus? Jesus answered him. Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Notice Nathaniel asks, how do you know me? I wonder if Nathaniel was thinking about these concepts about being a deceiver and not a deceiver. Something that Jesus was literally able to speak and see in his mind in such a way that Nathaniel said, How do you know me? And before Philip, Jesus says, came to you and saw you. In other words, I exercise my supernatural vision because I am the Son of God. Jesus can see everything because he's omniscient. He's all knowing. He's all there are multiple times in the gospel where Jesus shows us his supernatural vision. Remember the time before he's going into Jerusalem, where he sends his disciples out in Matthew 21. He says, go to the village ahead of you, and once you find a donkey, take the donkey, and if anyone says to you, what do you do? Sit and say, the master has me, and they will give it to you. And it happened as it was supposed to. How about this one? When Jesus owed the tax to the Romans, he said to Peter in Matthew 17, 27, go to the lake and throw out your line. <coughs> Take the first fish that you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drop of coin. What are the odds of that? Take it and give it to the Romans. There's nothing that Jesus can see. He knows everything about you. Done, 
said. Nothing is hidden from his eyes. He knows everything about everything. And the truth of the matter is he knew everything about Nathaniel, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And yet he blessed him. He knows everything about us. Every second of our life, he has been watching over us. And yet he chooses to bless his people as well. Nathaniel is stunned and responds, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Can you imagine meeting someone for the first time and saying to them, you are the son of God? And yet Nathaniel recognized that only God could know these things, and so he praises them. Nathaniel is saying that you are all powerful, Jesus. You are all knowing and you are all glorious. You are the king of Israel. In other words, you are the Messiah, the long-expected ruler of Israel that we have been waiting for, to bring deliverance uh, for us. You are my king. Jesus has given Nathaniel a new vision for his life, and he will not turn back. Do you know who has the best vision or sight in the world? It's an eagle. An eagle can see uh, about eight times as far as a human can. It, can, it allows, their vision allows them to spot a rabbit from two miles away, even when it's hiding under a bush. We can see a candle flame at that distance, but a small animal camouflaged in its surroundings, it would be impossible. Eagles also can quickly, uh, quickly shift their focus. They have, in effect, telephoto lenses in their eyes. They can change the distance through which they see things. They can also see a wider range of colors than we can, allowing them to differentiate small changes in coloration in their prey, as well as UV light. See, if we wanted to see clearly in this world, we would trust the eyesight of an eagle. But Jesus Christ has the ultimate vision, the ability to see the past, the present, and the future. He can see everything coming up again ahead. And he can help us navigate through our lives. Indeed, he wants to give you and I a vision for our life. So are you looking for a vision for your life? A new name? A new destiny? A new future that has purpose and meaning like Nathaniel was? Jesus has the power and the vision to give you a new name and a new destiny and a new character. He sees you and he knows you. And he chooses to bless you, despite your sin. So recognize who he is. Proclaim who he is. Receive the vision that he has for your life. And walk in obedience to his will and his ways. And see where the Lord takes you. Because he gives us a vision for our life. Brings me to my final point, that Jesus is the gateway of God. Jesus answered Nathanael in verse 50, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see even greater things than these. Truly I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He's quoting Genesis 28. When Jacob went to find himself a wife, and he went to a certain place and he fell asleep, and as he slept, he had this vision. And it was a vision of heaven becoming open and a ladder descending. 
to him, and angels ascending and descending on this ladder. And God, who was at the top of the ladder, spoke to him and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. What is Jesus saying? By saying that you will see heaven open and the angels ascending and descending on me. He's saying that I am the bridge from heaven to earth and from earth to heaven. The angelic beings, they come through me. And a portal has been opened in which you can speak to God and God can speak to you. When Jacob woke up, he called that place Bethel or Bethel, Bethel, which means the house of God. Jesus is essentially saying that I am the house of God. It's in me that you find God. And because you have been following me, Daniel, you will see God. You will have a relationship with the living God through me. Jesus is the gateway to God. In John 10, 7, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. See, my friends, there is one way, one path. And we're all trying to find it. But the path leads directly through the person of Jesus Christ. Acts 4.12 says, For salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name given to man under heaven by which we must be saved. He who has seen Jesus has seen God. And so I close with this point, that Jesus has come to set up a gateway to God, a path that any of us can walk on. See, Nathaniel believed and started that journey, but it was just the beginning. What amazing things he saw as he walked with Jesus. And Jesus invites us to start a relationship with God through him. But to do so, we must walk through that door. So have you said yes to Jesus Christ? Have you planted your feet firmly on him as the reason and the basis of your life? Have you acknowledged him as the son of God? the king of the world. You can do that today. You can proclaim to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of the world. He is the gateway that you walk in. So follow him. See where he takes you. Because it's going to be an amazing journey when you decide to walk through the gateway of God. Jesus is the gateway to God. So let us follow him, unswerving, <coughs> singularly, with all our heart, our mind, and our soul. For that is what we want to do. And that is what we will do by God's grace. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you came to earth to establish a gateway by which we could know God and we could see heaven and we could be made right. What a great and distinct privilege to be in relationship with you. God, I pray that every single person in this room would have made the decision by the end of this service to make their stand on you, 
For you are the way, the truth, and the life. And there is life only to be found in you. So we thank you and we praise you for this, this wonderful news. We pray all of this in Christ. Amen.